Welcome to Live Courageously podcast show number 25 of 2023. And uh, I'm your host, John Duffy, and this is the 41st Live Courageously podcast show since I started the show a year and a half ago. Live Courageously has been the conscious theme of my life for the last three years since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And it's been an unconscious theme of my life for most of my life. Courage is one of the first of human qualities because it is the quality which guarantees all others. So let's meet today's courageous guest, Ali Covington. And Ali has been an entrepreneur in fitness since 1995 and finance since 2003. She's been a pioneer and made innovations in the fitness industry. And she's sat on advisory boards for some of the largest financial firms. She earned her undergraduate degree from UCI, where she double majored in pre-med and art history and went on to earn an MA in counseling psychology. Instead of going into private practice, she utilizes her skills and talents with her clients every day to help them get their best outcomes. She created the first group exercise weight training class and went on to write the first personal training algorithm and built software around that program that is being utilized by individuals and companies. She expanded that into a coaching program with dozens of clients getting the results that they personally desire. Uh, some of her current affiliations are Access Elite, a company that best the best providers in industries to give companies access to them in a single place, and Spencer Institute, the BLD certification program. Ali is a uniquely skilled and talented woman with many years of experience training men and women to get the body they always wanted. And like I said, a master's degree in psychology. This combination has made her the best at what she does. And in the words of Ali, your body is a machine that will do whatever you tell it to do, but it's your brain that needs coaching. That's the unique service that she provides. Psychologists aren't personal trainers and they can't help you get in shape. And personal trainers aren't psychologists that understand the underlying issues that prevent us from reaching our goals and how to work around those issues to reach our goals anyway. In her mind, there's no excuses for not attaining a goal. So she created ways to adapt to changing needs and lifestyles while staying on track to reach the goals that you set. She's also a mom and her journey has been a rough one, overcoming adversity and abuse and standing strong and inspiring others to not give in or not give up. So let's welcome Ali to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> that was such a beautiful introduction. I appreciate that. Oh, I was like, well, who is this lady that we're talking <laughs> about? I want to meet her. <laughs> well, you know, and, and I know uh, uh, from having known a little bit about you and have spoken with you, obviously, that's just a small piece of you. So, you know, I could have gone on a lot longer, but, you know, I had to kind of get to the real thing, which is to introduce you to the audience so people could get a chance to meet you personally. Um, yeah. So I like to start out the show always, and it's, uh, you know, not every time I, I've met my guests, even though most of the time I have. So my first uh, two questions are, where did we meet? How did we meet? And then the second question is, what does Live Courageously mean to you, since that's the nature of the show? We met at Jason Cisneros' wedding. And well, actually, we, we, we really got a chance to talk in the airport on the way home, <laughs> discovered that we live not that far from each other, which was amazing since we were on the East Coast and we live on the West Coast. So you don't usually see that happen. But that was a it was a beautiful coming together of a lot of disparate people from different backgrounds, but all with a very similar heart and bent. So it was beautiful to meet you there. And I don't think it was by accident at all. I don't believe no, in accidents. I, I, I agree. And, and, you know, it's um, that short period of time. And it was, you know, not that short because we waited for a little while for the plane. But couple of hours. Know, yeah. that period of time, we got a chance to talk. And I got it, you know, because I didn't expect to hear, you know, because I love people's stories. But I didn't expect you to take me on the journey of your story and how much I learned in that short period of time. And of course, after listening to you and getting to know you that quickly, I was like, wow, you know, this is a great story you've lived and you have a lot of lessons and messages for people to share. So that's why I wanted you on the show. So that takes you to the, my second question, which is what does live courageously mean to you? Oh, um, living in faith rather than fear. And that's not an easy thing to do, as you know, especially when you are surrounded by nothing but what seems like a pit. You know, imagine getting dropped into a pit. Do you remember Silence of the Lambs, that movie from the 80s? Oh, yeah. Right? 
imagine being that person in the in the pit and just going, I don't know where I think there's a way out because I came in here somehow, but I can't find a door. There's no light switch. I can't find my way out. And this and the longer I sit here, the more this starts to feel like it's the end. Like this is the way this is going. This is the way my story ends. Right. And uh, seems like the only way to really pull through that and have the courage to get out is having the faith that it's happening for a reason and that there's something better on the other side of that. And that's really kind of what helped me get through that period of time where it felt like nothing, like all I was doing was groping in the dark for a light switch. Well, this is a quote I saw from you that you had up there. Fear is a liar. And um, it is. I think, you know, I, I, I just resonated with that right away when I saw, you know, that from the stuff you sent me. But, you know, here's the thing, you know, and, and I think what's uh, uh, amazing, I don't even call it mind boggling, but you know, you've lived such a successful life on so many levels, you know, and, and we talk on the bio, boat fitness. So, you know, some of the pictures that I put up, obviously, of you, you know, being in contests and all this stuff. And I think sometimes people, you meet somebody, you see somebody, you don't know what their story is, and you make assumptions. You assume, well, if this person is a champion bodybuilder or they're whatever they're great at, and you see that piece of them, you don't realize. What's the struggle behind that? What's the darkness behind that? You, you think it's all easy and they're just having an easy life. And, you know, you go, well, that's easy for them to say, you know, and I right. think with you, I start, you know, I didn't, I'm saying I'm the same way. I saw the, the positive you're, you're teaching fitness, you're a fitness trainer, you're incredible in that field. And then I got to hear the other side. And so, but before we get to that, I, I just kind of want, you know, tell us a little bit growing up. I mean, were you always into fitness? Were you always into being that great bodybuilder uh, that you, you know, you uh, reflect in that picture? No, I, uh, I think those kids have parents who are like that and they raise them that way, like I'm doing with my children. But no, I was um, a tubby kid growing up. My dad would take me skiing into the beach. My mom wasn't active at all. Just, just wasn't, you know, shopping was her thing, not, not exercise. And, and because my parents had two different sets of rules around food and things like that, I really struggled with my weight until probably about fifth grade, I think is when my mom just went, okay, I'm going to put you in drill team. And because I had these regular practices where I was doing, moving my body and doing something, um, I started to see, oh, okay, I'm, life is getting a little easier. It's easier to ride my bike and stuff like that. And I really enjoyed dancing, really enjoyed all the court competitions. I am naturally kind of competitive. And, um, and then I moved into it in high school. So I went through, went, finished that, that fifth grade year, did it all through junior high, and then tried out for the drill team in high school, made it onto the team and spent two years that way. And man, I can, I will tell you, you can outrun a bad diet. Because <laughs> my freshman year of high school, we would we would practice for two hours a day, three and a half on Tuesdays, and then do all our performances on Saturday. And I literally ate Doritos, Hostess cherry pies, and washed it down with a Dr. Pepper five days a week. I cringe at what I put in my body because I didn't know. My mom didn't know either. And she was a health teacher, but she didn't know what I was eating when I was at school. But I was still dropping weight because I was moving so much. So that's when I kind of went, oh, wait, hang on. So this exercise thing, this is, this is kind of a, this gives me the freedom to eat whatever I want. I think I like this. So when I moved in with my, oh, moved out of my mom's house, moved in with my dad um, for the last two years of high school, I, I, was, I was definitely afraid of going back to being that chubby kid again, because mm. it was, you know, just, you're teased so much, the identity of like being that loser that's being mistreated by all your peers because of the way you look just, I was like, I don't want anything to do with that again. So I was like, dad, I need to make sure I don't, I don't stop moving. So he got me a gym membership at his gym, which he didn't go to. 
<laughs> and and kind of coached me from the dining room table each night. How was your workout today? Well, I did some of these and some <laughs> of this, and I don't know what I'm doing. So he would talk to me about these different exercises, and he just knew the basics, right? He didn't really, but he was a chemistry teacher. My mom is a health teacher. Dad's a chemistry teacher. So now you're starting to see how from a very young age, I was putting the pieces together of health and biochemistry but I didn't really get into it into like the real education of it until I got to college and I was a bio major. So I got biochemistry as my undergrad. Now, but, would, you, uh, would you say for your, for yourself, you know, sometimes they say people are, are driven by either pain or pleasure or sometimes a combination of both. Right. But to get in fitness, did pain drive you or did pleasure drive you? And I know for myself, I came back from school when I, I dropped out of school, but I eventually went back and I came back from school and my, my uh, nephew, I had a little bit of a beer belly at the time and he poked me in my stomach and he said, Hey, it's the Pillsbury Doughboy." Oh, oh that's a good my one. <laughs> God. That was like the worst pain I ever had. And, and I went, you know, at first I wanted to slap him. Of course, I wasn't going to do that. But right. I was like, God, you'll never call me the Pillsbury Doughboy again. And I went on a two-week water fast. I ate no food <laughs> for two weeks. I dropped, oh 20 I dropped 20 pounds and I got a job as a health instructor at a fitness club. <laughs> and never was I ever going to be called a Pillsbury Doughboy ever. So he did me a great favor yeah. by, by, you know, giving me some pain. Um, yeah. But not everybody's driven by that. Some people are driven by you know, what they've Pleasure. created or what they look, right? So yeah, you no, it was definitely pain for me. I just didn't want to go back to feeling that pain again. And right. the older I got, the more cognizant of it I was. So then it became so much more important to do that. So it's funny that I'm telling you this now that my dad used to coach me from the dining room table over dinner. But that was like the first remote coaching because he never went and took <laughs> me into the gym. That's I funny. never once worked out with my father. That is funny. And yet, I got out of high school, went into college and went and decided to go get a personal training certification because it seemed like that would be more fun than waiting tables for a, a college job. Right. I just didn't sure. know I was going to be as good at it as I was and it was going to be as fun as it was. But um, yeah, 90, 93. That's the first remote training there, by the way. <laughs> Interesting. So, well, he kind of set you up for success in that sense, right? He did. Yeah. I honestly never put two and two together until just now when I said that. So <laughs> thanks, Dad. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it works, right? I didn't have any videos to follow. It was just him telling me what to do and kind of what to think about it. There was no YouTube back then. There was no like, right. oh, just Google how to do it. None of that stuff. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And so my my foray into fitness was coming from that bodybuilding style of, of training because that's kind of all there was. But so I got certified in 95 and then thought, you know what? Everybody needs to do this. I, so I started teaching group exercise classes. And about 97, 98 is when I designed. I was 20 years old, so I must have been. I mean, it was 21. Anyway, it must have been 97. So the first group exercise weight training class. So filtering in my head through all the potential exercises, what can we do with just the equipment in a room like that? How can we do it to keep the class flowing and so on and so forth? And that stayed in the industry until 2013 or so when Body Pump came out. And I remember my manager at the time said, you need to trademark this. Like, I can barely put gas in my car to get to my classes. Trademark? Wow. I don't, an attorney? What are you talking about? I'm a starving college student. Mm. <laughs> so, so I didn't, but, you know, it. I thought it spoke volumes that it was popular enough that it went not only from Bally's, but it ended up over at 24-Hour Fitness. And people loved it, and they kept the name of the class and the format of the class. So that's... That probably gave me more hope that what I was building right now was going to have some staying power. And that was called, you mentioned to me, uh, SETS, Strength Endurance that, Training, correct? That's right. Yeah. Right. And so you yeah. started that at the time. And then, you know, you also go into school, you get two degrees, which, you yeah. know, most people have a hard time getting one. But, you know, you go ahead and get two, right? And uh, MA in psychology. But you choose not to go into the uh, psychology field. But you combined the two, the fitness and the yeah. psychology. And what are the uh, 
uh, strengths of that that you bring to your train and having knowing how to, you know, understand psychology as well as fitness and combine those two? What's what's the, the, the strength of that you feel for you? I'm glad you asked that question because I just had this conversation with my business partner recorded last Friday where we were talking about stress eating and how how people manage stress through either um, stuffing down or sublimation. And those are psychological terms, but they really mean usually when somebody's trying to manage stress, chronic stress, usually trauma, they tend to overeat, overdrink, smoke, uh, do drugs. Like they actually put things in their mouth and they stuff down their emotions in that process. And the emotions don't go anywhere. They don't just magically disappear. They have to come out one way or the other. And so the process of sublimation is in transferring that negative energy into a positive outcome, like using exercise or in the case of people who are sexually frustrated, they're turning it into sales or productivity at work or becoming a volunteer to be better in their community. Ways that are productive versus destructive. And I don't know a single trainer on the planet that's ever talked about stress eating in that way. And I, I know psychologists will probably talk about it, but they don't know what to tell the client to go do about it. Just go, right. go exercise or go eat right. It's like, you know, you got to kind of combine those two. And my business partner has battled with that for decades. Hmm. And so come this, he was actually one of my first fitness coaching clients or coaching clients in general in 2020. So he started with me remotely on the east coast of Canada and and we started working through a lot of his past trauma and that started helping him set aside those stuffing down behaviors and moving more into positive sublimating type of behaviors. And the so when we recorded this BOD talk on Friday, I sent it out to my mailing list and the response I got back was tremendous. They were like, this is amazing. This is exactly what I wanted to see. Even some of my clients that watched it, we hadn't had that conversation. I didn't even know they were stress eating. They're like, you were talking to me, Ali. I went, we've been coaching. How come you're not telling me? But I think that's really common, especially for men. And how much, I mean, that's that's a a good thing. I mean, I just think like you see now the rise of obesity and unhealthy obesity growing in the population. And of course there's the food component. And you talk about like when you were young, you were exercising and you you were able to overcome because you were exercising so much. But I know when I was young, I used to drink like three quarts of soda and the amount of acne I had was all because of the the sugar, right? I'm putting poison in my system and there's no way for the poison to get out, but to come out as acne. Um, Yeah, that's a gut related issue, by the way. What's that? That's a gut related issue. Yeah. So So you get all that poison in your system and your system has to do something. with. But so there's the, the eating aspect. But then like you're saying, the stress aspect of being stressed and doing those things with it. So- you know, you see the population growing and growing unhealthier because yeah. they're not being coached psychologically and they're not being coached physically to deal with their issues that are allowing them to get unhealthier. That's right. And no diet can untangle those knots inside your head. No online, you know, you can't go to YouTube and find a bunch of exercises and have that untangle your knots. There's that's uh, it, untangling the knots is something that came to me recently when somebody asked me, I think it was on a podcast. I think it was Lauren, as a matter of fact, said like, what, what is it that you do for people? I'm like, no, nah, I untangle their knots. I like <laughs> the knots that. Inside their head. <laughs> Just get in there and like, okay, well, we, we pull this over here. Then that one co- undoes that loop. And we just kind of eventually straighten it out because there's n- no like set pattern or method to being able to untangle a knot. Right. You just kind of get in there and you start pulling and scooping and, you know, getting it out, getting it untangled. So um, so that's what I do. That's different for my coaching clients. Yeah. Now so you said you started. Change. I said it again. So it's permanent change. Permanent change. My goal for my coaching clients is this is the last program you're ever going to be on because this one will work for you and sustainable for the rest of your life because we're going to solve the root problem. 
Well, you know, I think that's great. And we'll come back at the end when you talk more about your program and what people can learn from it. But, you know, it's like you said, it it isn't about a, a, a quick diet. It isn't about just quick exercise. This is a lifelong commitment to health as opposed to unhealth. Right. And, it's, and it's like you said, untying the knots, um, changing how you eat, changing how you exercise, changing how you live life. Yeah. So that, you know, it's not like I'm going to do this for a month. No, this is a lifetime. This yeah. is how you live a good lifetime by doing the right things for, for the rest of your life. Right. And right. that's kind of what your program's putting out there. So that's very, very cool. Now you said you started in, um, well, you didn't start, but in 2020, you started doing some of the, the online coaching and what was your experience, if anything, uh, special, because for a lot of people, unfortunately, at least I found during during 2020 in the pandemic, a lot of people were driven away from doing the healthy things. They were driven out of the gyms by the gyms closing down. They were driven out of going outside in the sun and getting sun. They would, you know, uh, began to overeat because of isolation and all those social, you know, psychological issues started getting worse. And so instead of getting healthier, they became unhealthier. So two years drove a lot of people into even worse health as opposed to better health. And so now people are trying to overcome that, at least some of some people and hopefully more. But I think, you know, that's something I noticed. I'm not sure if you noticed that in your practice. Oh, absolutely. Um, But what I noticed more than anything other than like, okay, now this pandemic is exacerbating their already existing bad habits is that it pushed people to the point of enough pain that they actually wanted to get better as a result of it. And health was the big topic of 2020. Now, mind you, most of it was about a virus and vaccines and all of that. But at the end of the day, people were taking, they were thinking about their health more than they ever had been. They were taking steps toward their health than they ever had been. And because it was now top of mind, I think they took it a lot more seriously than they ever had been. And so I honestly feel like the pandemic did us a favor in that way as much as it did a dis- did us a disservice. And even as recently as last year, I still had people coming to me saying, I still put on a bunch of weight during COVID. I need to take it off. I haven't heard that in 23, but 22, that was still the theme. So right. it, it's lasted quite a while for a, a number of people, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, you know, I, I I was lucky because I know when the gyms opened up, I was the, the minute they opened, I was in there and I was like, OK, oh. I'm going to go seven days a week. So, it, it, you know, I just took it to the next level, which was, you know, I'm going to go in the opposite direction and, and take this as an opportunity to mm-hmm. do what, like you said, to, to to get into the best health of my life, the best fitness of my life. Here's a chance. Let's go. And, let's yes. do it, you know, and exactly. so. I think that's kind of what, you know, we need to encourage people throughout life to do. And that's what you're doing with your with your program um, in particular. But let's pivot, um, if you yeah. don't mind. Um, Absolutely. Um, but I'm going to before I pivot, I'm just going to throw up some pictures because this is the fitness side of uh, of you in, in all your aspects of working out um, in the gym just to give people of, you know, how important it is and, and what it looks like. Um, and these are just some of the. Uh, images of, of all that. So that's kind of the fitness world that you've created through your own practices and then your uh, coaching and, and training. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the middle of that, you know, you would assume that everything's easy, right? You had an easy life, didn't you? It, um, you would you would think it looking from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but you didn't. You know, you had a rather uh, challenging uh, experience, both, um, you know, you're a mom of two kids um, you've dealt with issues that uh, nobody should have to deal with and, you know, both domestic uh, abuse issues and all kinds of struggles and custody and then financial issues and survival, just trying to survive all of that in the midst of you still trying to move forward. So if you don't mind and you want to share a little bit of that story with the audience, I, yeah. I think people would learn how sometimes life can throw everything bad at you and you still got to find a way to fight through it. And you, your life explains that. Yeah. So those pictures that you just showed, a couple of them were done in October of 2017. And that was, it was two weeks before I got pregnant with my third. And it was while I was in the beginning stages of dating the father of my third child. And we were, we were in a relationship and everything seemed to be going great and all of that. And 
to fast forward through the impetus of how everything started to go downhill, um, my ex-husband had a reaction to me moving on and needless to say, we ended back up, we ended back in court in 2018 and everything started to spiral out of control there. So I'm pregnant and in a custody battle and now we're going to do a 7:30 evaluation which is where a forensic psychologist comes in and evaluates every person in the family and i i i didn't have any qualms about it cuz i was like cool i like this stuff let's go <laughs> but um but everything started to fall apart because she started evaluating my ex my he's now my ex not my ex-husband, my ex-boyfriend, whom I never married, thankfully. And things started kind of going downhill pretty quickly. My two older kids were struggling and they didn't know what to what to do about it. And so I'm how old, how old were they at the time? At the time, my son was just turning seven and my daughter was gonna be eleven. Mm -hmm. So she was like 10 and a half and they were with me because they had said they didn't want to be with their dad. So they were with me and my boyfriend and I'm pregnant and we're trying to make a go of all of this. And he started getting more, he started getting more and more assertive, more and more aggressive. Mm -hmm. And it, there was a big struggle for me in that because I knew like we don't need aggression here, but we also need leadership. And he didn't know how to do one without the other. And the psychologist said she was not supposed to evaluate him, but she did anyway. And so she told, she recommended the judge that to the judge that for in the interim that the kids go over to their dad, whom they had said that they were afraid of being with. So my heart was breaking, but his fist came at me at that point. So they Ooh. never saw any of it, but the first slap came right after they were sent to their dads. I often wonder if it ever would have happened if, if they hadn't been sent over there, but, um, you know, there's no point in wondering about that for too long, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Th so there was an incident. He slapped me and I was like, you don't do that to me. I slapped him back. But he's 6'5 and 360 pounds. And I'm 5'5, five five, you know. <laughs> Big difference. So he basically just grabbed me by the shoulders, picked me up off the floor and walked me into the shower room, right? Where it's just a, a toilet and a shower and the door shuts. It's not a big bathroom. And he shut the door, locked it and basically locked me in there for about an hour and a half while he screamed at me and punched the wall and, you know, told me what an awful person I am. And, you know, you can imagine stuff right before I was going to go do a presentation for a bunch of real estate agents on how to best manage their money and where to save it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I pulled my head around, forgot all about that for the moment, went and did my presentation and thought, how the heck am I going to get out of this? And I'm pregnant. So what, what are my options now? And it just escalated more and more. Eventually my son was my son was born, but I was induced two weeks early because we had gotten into another fight, another argument before, not a fight, not a physical fight, but he was always arguing with me, always yelling at me, always making me, you know, come back and beg for forgiveness. And that had happened the morning of a typical follow-up, you know, prior to, prior to delivery. And my blood pressure was so high, they thought they were afraid I was going to have a stroke. So they induced me, but beforehand, you know, we're in there and this is like a, a, an all of a sudden you go in for a regular exam. Oh, we're sending you over to the maternity ward. We've got to monitor you. And he's just like, cool, I'm going to go get something to eat. I'll be back in an hour or something like that. And during that period, I, I was happy he left, honestly, mm. because the nurse was like, the nurse started asking me questions because she noticed and she said, 
are you afraid? Yes, I am. Yes, so it's my first opportunity to be away from him and tell somebody who could do something to help me. And um, scary because they were like, okay, we're going to bring in a social worker. And the social worker wanted me to figure out how to devise a plan to get out. Mm. Like I'm, I'm trying to have a baby here and you wow. want me to make a decision about his future with his other parent. And I, and I'm trying, I, I don't, I can't do this all at the same time. Right. It was just like, it's not happening, but social worker was great. It was like, I can't lie. I can't just come up with a lie. I'm not a good liar. So we came up with a plan that didn't include me lying and included taking some type of step so that they would release me and the baby from the hospital to him and go home. And it did work. It worked eventually, but I ultimately I needed to call the police myself because the therapist recommendation going to see a therapist that didn't do anything therapist didn't call anybody so she was I guess her hands were tied but um anyway kind of fast forwarding through it got to the point where my son was about two and a half months old it was October 12th when he really went to town and but didn't leave enough of a mark for me to mm. call the police. So I endured it. But five days later, he did it again. And he did leave enough of a mark. So I thought, I don't know how many more of these I can do. I'm, I want to, I want to die right now. I wanted, I wanted to quit in July. It's October. And I've been enduring all of this. And the only thing that kept me from quitting and killing myself, because I didn't feel like there was any way out was my older kids. And I didn't, I knew that if I did that, then they would live the rest of their lives thinking, why wasn't I enough for mom to stay? Mm. Mm. Why wasn't she enough for me to, for her to fight for us? So I didn't, and I endured, and I just kind of kept going like, okay, God, please, if I'm supposed to be here, please let something happen that makes it easy to get out and get custody. And honestly, hitting me probably was the easiest way for me to get out and get custody. Sorry, it's still a little emotional <laughs> when oh, yeah. I go back into those memories and think exactly. about it, it's like, uh, you know, um, but um, the, that in hindsight, it was like that was the easy way because I didn't have to battle him in court for years on end. So what happened is really amazing, though, and this is where that um, where my point of like having faith in, instead of fear to move forward comes in because I called the police. They gave me a restraining order, but it's only a five day restraining order. One of my clients who lived in another state flew me out, flew me and the baby out. And she was a therapist. So she kind of like, I spent 11 days there just decompressing and getting some, getting my feet underneath me, but having somebody help take care of the baby while I did it. And um, cause I knew I wasn't, I, I was struggling already. And then um, I came home and filed for a more permanent restraining order, which they only give you like th- a three week restraining order. And then you've got to go into court. You've got to show up and you've got to tell the judge why you want a restraining order in front of him. Yeah. So he can question you and call you a liar and twist all your words around and say, no, that's not how it happened. And all of that. Well, I'm, I missed it. I showed up to the court house with my friend who was there to support me and I sat outside but I didn't know I was supposed to go in and check in so they called my name but I wasn't there so they completely dismissed it and the restraining order was off so I had to hurry up and file it all over again okay now I know the process nobody told me thanks a lot and um so now that this time has passed right and Now, because I put in my statement that there were medical records that demonstrated the chiropractor that he and I both saw together, I went to see him to get everything put back in place because my jaw was a little bit out of alignment and my neck and so on and my whole body. And he said, yeah, I can tell from your injuries that you were, that what you're telling me is true. So I put it in my in my notes, in my request to the court, like there's medical evidence that says that I'm telling the truth and I have reason to be afraid for my safety and that of my son, please give me a restraining order. Well, his criminal attorney, right, because I called the police (laughs) and he spent the night in jail, his criminal attorney 
picked up that case too. And she started demanding my medical records, mine and the baby. And I was like, oh, great. So now all of my medical records are going to be part for the court to see, the attorneys to see. So I started freaking out and I just got quiet and just kept praying like, okay, just tell me what to do. Please, God, tell me what to do because I do not know what I'm doing, but I am trying to survive here. And this is still 2018 and uh, maybe beginning of 2019 at this point. Wow. And mind you, I'm on monitored visits with my older children. I only get to see them for four hours every two weeks. Wow. And, and that cost me $50 an hour. And I have an infant that I can't put in childcare, and I work as a financial planner. I have to go see clients. How am I going to do that with an infant, with this condition that I'm in, with all that I'm dealing with? So money was draining as at a, there's a whooshing sound out of my bank account. And literally everything I had saved was spent during 2018 and 19. And then everything I could borrow too. So, so right around May of, of 20, um, sorry, March of 2019, the judge with in the case with my kids said, we're going to trial. There's no way. And my, and ma'am, mom, you had better have some long legs to get back just to 50, 50 custody much less because there's, and he's basically saying, I'm not giving you these children. You're a hot mess. And I'm wow. going, I'm not a hot mess. I swear. It's just, I'm dealing and I'm, a, I'm in a pit of despair at this point. I, I'm trying to get out of it. And, um, and so in May, the, I sought another attorney because I didn't know what to do about this other case. And I'm listening to, I'm praying and I'm listening to the answer. And the answer came, well, tell them what's in your medical records from delivery and from your six week post postpartum visit, because that has, doctor's notes, soap notes is what they call them, has doctor's notes about what you, about the domestic violence. And, um, and so I, what the courts do in California is, or at least in it, where I live, they, um, they let you write a, vic a very private confidential victim statement. And you can write as many of them as you want. So I had written one before, but now I wrote an updated one. And I told them where to, what, what date to go look at in my medical records to get the evidence. Mm. And that must have been enough for the DA to get a conviction because he just pled guilty at that point. Wow. Stopped screwing around, pled guilty. Pled guilty in September. Mind you, the whole summer I find out in June that my son has infantile spasms and that's why instead of progressing, he's regressed. Wow. So he's six months, can't hold his head up, right? In January, can't hold his head up, can't roll over anymore, which he used to do. And I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with my son while I'm on monitored visits with my older kids, while I'm into battle custody battles, while I'm seeing two therapists to try to overcome this trauma. And then my son is diagnosed with this very bleak future saying that because infantile spasms is a form of epilepsy that causes um, regression, like regress, regress development. So he was moving backwards and usually is caused by a, um, a genetic syndrome that means that like your genes are constantly fighting you and they're kicking off these seizures or it's caused by birth trauma, which was my son's case. So I found out the day after my ex pled guilty that my son also did not have the genetic syndrome. And that's when I went, all right, God's got me. Okay. Okay. So we, I, we've got a guilty verdict here. I'm going to get my restraining order, which means my ex-husband can't blame all of this on me anymore. So I'm taking bullets out of his gun and my son's going to be okay. But that whole summer he had to undergo a very intense treatment for the seizures, which had him hospitalized for five days at the beginning of, because the treatment is so nasty that it can cause it can cause seizures itself, and it also it also causes a lot of other horrible side effects that can be permanent. So the more of that treatment that he would have to have, 
the worse his future is going to be. So talk about a lot of prayer and a lot of, you know, please let this all be okay. That's pressure. I don't know. I don't, I, I can honestly say I, I worked four jobs, went to school, carried a full load. I never experienced anything that was like this in my life. And I hope to God I never do because that was intense. Well, just, you know, I, I wanted, to, I'm, I, I'm sorry to have you go through all that. Uh, and because it's so hard and you know, reliving it, but you know, it's like when I met you at the airport, you know, I saw a, a person there that I could never have imagined any of this on any level, right? And and know what kind of battles that you went through and how dark it got for you before yeah. you were able to get these victories and overcome it. But I think that's the lesson too for for people watching. Sometimes yes. when we we meet people, you know, not having the time to kind of figure out what somebody's story is or be there with some compassion for somebody, we just assume things. And, and, and mo a lot of those things could be totally wrong or maybe all wrong. So right. it's like get, taking the time to really understand each other and have that. And for me, just to, you know, what you went through is so, you know, you, like you said, you don't want to ever go through this again, but nobody should have to go through this. I mean, it's just not like, um, totally but keep going, keep going from there uh, kind of. And then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions on the lesson learned. But then I want to kind of take you into where you are today so we don't end on the the, the yeah. painful stuff because I want us to get into all the, the the really great things that you're doing today, too. So keep Absolutely. going. No, so the, the, the point to really getting into the detail of all of it is so that other people can understand the the intense pressure and the intense stress. I mean, during that summer, I filed for that. Actually, it was probably in April. I, I filed for food stamps because I didn't have enough money to, to feed myself and my baby. I didn't want my older kids to know I was struggling financially. So I tried to make everything seem like it was completely normal on the outside. And I could do that for four hours at a time. But even the monitors who I couldn't always pay on time knew. And they, were, they weren't supposed to be so kind to me, but they could tell that I wasn't the problem. And so they were like, we feel for this woman. She got dealt a, a load of crap. Well, let's at least, you know, I can be here. I can show up. I can do this. She'll pay me eventually. And I did. I did. I made good on all of my, my debts to them. And um, what I... What I got from all of that, and the reason to tell all of that story is for two reasons. One, if you're going through anything kind of like it, just know you can make it through, right? Like mm -hmm. that's a pretty intense, horrible thing to get through because it almost felt like the two exes were conspiring sure. with each other against me to try to like just get me out of the picture so that they could have my children. <laughs> well, in practice, yeah. And yeah. this is what... Is what it felt like. I was looking sure. at it like, how in the world is all of this like converging on me all at once without people like communicating? And and the other part is so that the story of what's happening now has more impact and the lessons learned from it are amazing. So that summer was was a pretty rough one. And um and so we fast forwarded, right? We got through all of that. We got to the trial at the in January of 2020 and we walked in and the judge just went, we're not doing a trial. You're going back to 50-50. You need to go right just figure out an, a, a settlement agreement, come back on Friday. And whoever doesn't agree is the one who's going to pay for the trial. So wow. we had a lot of incentive to get it done. And um, that's when I went, Okay. Okay. God had me the whole way through. And so then it was just about rebuilding all of my relationship with my older kids, you know, getting them to trust me again, that they could trust their mom not to make a mistake because God only knew what was going through, what, what they were being fed for 19 months. And so we spent a lot of time together rebuilding that. And then the pandemic hit and that actually turned into a really good thing for my family too because the only play, the only thing we could go do together was go to the beach. Mm. And so, by the way, I did get the permanent restraining order. Excellent. So got that. It was a three-year restraining order. I just had to renew it last October. 
And, um, and so now I have a permanent, permanent one. So I have sole legal, sole physical custody of my little guy. He's been in physical therapy since he was six months old. So he's working on walking still, and he's turning five in a couple of weeks. So he's still very, very far behind his, his age group and where he should be. And he is definitely special needs. And I do not know what the future is going to hold for him, but I do know that he's a blessing and I can't wait to see how he turns out. He's, he's probably one of, if you meet him, you can't help but fall in love with him because he's so sweet and so special. And he, he doesn't look like he's um, got any kind of delay at all, but you can tell when he starts to try to walk and the fact that he doesn't talk to you or feed himself, you're like, okay. So he's still not feeding himself. He's almost five. So I've been spoon feeding a baby for five Mm -hmm. years, mind you. (laughs) I'm like, you can eat any time now. We can, <laughs> this is getting kind of old, but I have the best therapist working with him and I'm very blessed. So he's well, a completely different, different level when, of joy and less. Well, like you said, too. like you said earlier, when we met, it, it wasn't an accident, but I mean, you know, talk about courageous and, and living courageous. I mean, you have what you went through, your faith. Your courage, your uh, will, not giving up. You're taking action. You're uh, still trying to move forward, and then being such a loving and powerful mom to your kids, and doing all that, and doing all you're doing in the, you know, uh, career-wise, and then trying to inspire other people on top of that while you're dealing with all that. I mean, you know, I I just think when people, you know, sometimes people have challenges and they're not that extreme. And, you know, it just, when people realize what people can go through and overcome, like you said, don't give up, overcome, Mm -hmm. you know, it just gives people hope. And I think your story is one of definitely hope for people um, on every level, you know, and hopefully not necessarily people have to go through the darkness that you went through, but on any level, you know, having the courage, having the hope, willing to do whatever it takes and never give up. You got that. You know, you really do. So I was honored that I got a chance to meet you and and that you were willing to be that open to share your story with me and now share it here. So, you know, I mean, uh, I'm, just- I'm actually really excited to share it. I would love it to be a book or a movie or something that yeah. would inspire inspire some hope in people at some point, because there's what, what really bothered me more than probably anything else that I went through was sitting in that courtroom and half of the cases were domestic violence cases. Yeah. Half. And that was one courtroom on one floor in one courthouse in one flipping County in the entire country. And there's so much of it going on that it's that. And I know that there's so much more that's going on that isn't being brought to to the courthouses. And I know because the victim doesn't feel like they can get out and they feel completely trapped. And I would love for them to at least get some some ray of hope from my story that as hard as it is and as scary as it is and as much as you feel like you could absolutely die, you need to leave. Well, you know, uh, we talked briefly before we did the show uh, about that. And, and you know, for, for anybody who hasn't experienced abuse, you know, whether it's a, a female being abused by a man or even a man being abused by a female, even though it's more the first version than the second even, but they both happen. But, yeah. you know, as you were telling me, you know, it's just people who've never experienced just think it's easy. Like, well, why don't you get out? Right. Yeah. No, you know, it's, it, you know, on every level, it's if it was that easy, everybody would just get out. Right. It's not, it's not that easy. It's, it's like it's, telling an obese person, just eat less. Yeah. Stop it's, eating cookies. Ah. Uh, right. So not understanding <laughs> what it takes and what that person's experiencing and what they need, the kind of support and encouragement and all around everything to help them to get to that place of strength to yeah. make that move. And, and you found that you did it, but yes, your message and, and your story is that. So um, once again, I am um, thankful for you sharing it with us for sure. Yeah, no problem. It's, it's, um, I'm actually glad it happened. I'm at the point, I got to the point where it turned out to be a blessing because what ended up happening as a result of it was, yes, I got my kids back. I did find out how strong I really am. I did find my faith again, because when you're at rock bottom and I, you know, people talk about rock bottom and you're going like, Hmm, that sounds pretty bad. (laughs) Oh, 
oh, you don't know rock bottom until you've actually hit it. And you're like, dang, this, this is the bottom. Absolutely. Wow. That's a long way up. Oh, um, but it, it's a lot of perspective, right? It gives you a lot of gratitude for not being there. So one of the things that I did was I kept a gratitude journal because I knew I needed to keep my head straight. Another thing I did was I made sure I worked out as soon as I could get the baby into childcare at the gym. I at least did cardio because it was the only thing that was going to keep me from, I couldn't get off the couch. I was depressed. Mm, right. I was super depressed, but I also knew because of my, my training that if I stay that way, I'm just going to be that way more. So I made myself get up and I at least did cardio to get the dopamine going. And I feel like that, and I stayed away from sugar and processed carbs, processed food entirely so that my brain could function as well as it could, right? When you're going through trauma and you're dealing with trauma, your head is really fuzzy. Like, and you don't need to add to it with poor nutrients and, you know, lack of dopamine and things like that. So I did those things as much as I didn't want to, I did them anyway, because it's like, I'm taking my own medicine. But, um, but what ended up happening is here we get to 2020, the pandemic happens and no one is going to do any financial planning when they don't know if they're going to have a paycheck tomorrow. So I was like, well, I do have this other fitness business here. I guess I'll just do this. Right. And my first remote client on the East coast of Canada ends up being a software developer. Ah, so let's, let's pivot to that. I'm going to throw up a couple of your quotes because we're going to finish up the show. And I want to kind of make sure you share a little bit about what you do. But here's a couple of quotes from you. Um, uh, don't be afraid to start over this time. You're not starting from scratch. You're starting from experience. I, I, I love that because, you know, yeah. right. Ain't that the truth? Um, it is. And we always feel like, oh, I'm just starting over again. It's like, no, no, you're starting from a much better place. You cannot. And this is what I what I kept telling my daughter because she was so worried that it would happen again. I said, it can't possibly can't possibly happen again because now we know too much. So when you're starting over with experience, now you're a lot wiser. You're not going to make the same mistakes. You'll make new ones, but they won't be like that again. And I've kept that promise to her. And now we're in a much better place. So the software developer loved what I was doing, loved the way I train and, and my meal plans and all of that stuff and said, I can make it better. Can I invest? Can I be your business partner? And I was like, yes, I've been wanting a technical co-founder since I first thought of this in 2009. Right. And, um, and just couldn't find one. And the technology wasn't there to do what I wanted to do. I mean, like Facebook didn't even have videos in 2009. So I had no idea how I was going to market it back then, but the idea was there anyway. So, but I was running my business, I was having babies. And so it was just something I was, you know, chunking down a little bit at a time, but here comes COVID and telling us, here you go, you can have a, have a great online business. And then I came to find out, okay, so online training has been a thing for, for a hot minute. People have been trying to do this for a little while. COVID just made it, made people have to look at it because now they couldn't go to your, they couldn't go to the trainer at the gym. That was completely out of the, out of the question. So how do I, how do I get fit and stay fit without doing that? Well, enter online training. And um, so he rebuilt it, got the clients from 2020 onto the new platform in February of 21, took off from there. And now we're, we're redoing it again and launching, doing an alpha launch next month. And I'm super excited about how this is going to look because we're adding in gamification and AI and all kinds of cool stuff. Since I've been coaching for the last couple of years now, I understand a lot more about what needs to be in the technology in order to continue helping people move forward. So the um, the AI part of it is going to be a very deeply psychological help tool that's going to help people in a much more meaningful way than I ever could of before without it so it's gonna be really really exciting and, and when you release that alpha in a month do you have a name is it already named the, pro- the program do you have a name for it it is it's the lean bot app bod is bot. my company and lean, lean bot, bot app. okay yeah bod by ali coaching is what my coaching clients get to take advantage of right now and they've been using the app so far we've been using that to get feedback 
And, yeah. and explain before the alpha comes out, but even what you've been doing so far with the online coaching, what is that? What is online coaching? I mean, I'm sure there's some people who use it. Some people don't. Uh, what exactly does it look like? What did it, what are they provided with? How does that work? Well, what we do is through our app, we're delivering their customized workouts, unlimited amount, their custom macro calculations and nutrition package, all of my recipes that are already pre-calculated out and easy to make, and and then me as the coach. So I check in with my clients every day. How are we doing? Because I want to know if you're on track or off track. If you're off track, I don't want to wait a week to find out. I want to know now. Right. So I can fix it and we can get you back on track now, not when you're 10 feet off track, but when you're like one step off track. Right. And um, and so that has been super powerful for them. I've helped people lose more than 100 pounds, my business partner being the first one, but multiple clients who had more than 100 pounds to lose. We've done it all remotely, never wow. needed me to be in the gym with them, because when we do our coaching calls, we get the chance to have more meaningful conversations about nutrition, biochemistry, psychology, stress eating, all of that stuff, like untangling the knots that are caught that caused the overeating to begin with, like we started off talking at the beginning of this conversation. So um, that stuff I couldn't do when I meet them in the gym because they're huffing and puffing going through their workout. It was one of my frustrations when I used to meet people in the gym back in the day. Well, you know, I, I know myself. I, I, I watch it sometimes. I go to Gold's Gym in Venice, and I see some of the personal trainers, and I'm not going to say all of them are like this or not, but, you know, I see them go around with their clients, and they're just they, – they, the client sits on a machine, and they count for the client. And then the client gets up and sits on another machine, and they count for the client. And I'm going – is that all they got offering is the how to count? Because I'm, I'm sure the client knows how to count by themselves, but it, it's so limited. And for what you're offering, obviously, is a lot more elaborate, a lot more intense and gets into a lot more stuff than just walking around with somebody going, OK, let's count to 10 as you do 10 reps. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just seems not worth the price that they're paying. Um, it's not. It's not it now. Right? Back then, you know, in the 90s, that Maybe. was all there was. And that Maybe. was what we did. Yeah. But now I, I, I get so many, I got such better results now than I ever did meeting them in the gym because now I can discuss everything. I right. can give them a custom supplement package. I can give them the psychological stuff that they really, really need in order to make long-term success sustainable and not just going from one program to another program to another program and going, gosh, I just can't find the one that works for me. Right. They all right. work for you. The problem is you need your trainer to be your therapist and your therapist yeah. to be your trainer and they're just not. And you need, and people need both. And so that's kind of what you do. So yeah. how do, um, obviously when, when it comes out for, I'll share it for you as well. Um, uh, how do people reach you now? Uh, what's the way to connect with you? What's your contact information? I would love it if your listeners, your watchers would go to, would email me, Ali at bodcompany.com, A-L-L-I. Let me see at, if I can put, is this it at the bottom of it? It's hard to see, but. That's uh, my, that's my Twitter handle, Allie Covington. Right. But they can, um, if they go to Allie at bodcompany.com and email me John Duffy or the name of your podcast, just something that tells me that this is where they got my email and got in contact with me. So I know you're not on my mailing list and things like that. I will give you a free consultation. I will listen to whatever you want to talk about and, and give you the best guidance I can and how to move forward, whether that's with me or, or in a completely different vein. But so say that one more time, Allie. At bod, B-O-D, company.com email me and I will give you a free 30 minute consultation. Let me see. And some of my one-on-one -on -one clients, cause I have two tiers of coaching. Some of my one-on-one -on -one clients are oh, Ali at. That's, one, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's an Ali too. I made a um, typo there. Anyway. Yes. Ali at bodcompany.com. Okay. Yes. Excellent. Um, be because I have all this financial background and 
all this psychological background and, and whatnot, a lot of my clients come to me and they go, okay, well, I want to get fit, but I also have all this other stuff I want to do too. So I will do some financial planning for them. These are my one-on-one clients. I'll do some, you know, some other, some business consulting type of stuff for them too, which is fun because I'm building a startup. I'm actively engaged in the business of building a business, just like a lot of you. So for all the founders out there that are thinking, oh, well, I'll wait on my health to start my company. Mm, don't do that. You need to need to get with me now because I can make this a lot a lot more profitable and a lot easier for you. Well, Ali, that's uh, come to the end of this. Thank you so much, uh, Ali at BodyCompany.com. Thank, thank you for being part of the show and thank you for sharing everything you did. And um, when you do uh, do your alpha thing, let me know and I'll share it as well. I will. I absolutely will. I'll send you a link for a free trial. And Fantastic. you can share it with everyone. Sounds great. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure uh, having this conversation with you. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure being here. I appreciate right. you. Oh, back at you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too.